Welcome to uh, another edition of the Undiscovered Decade. Uh, this is a podcast where we go over the films of the 1990s. We're all the way into June 1991, and it's a particularly special film for me. Uh, it was the first film I ever saw in theaters. Uh, that would be The Rocketeer. This will also help for the audio later when I show this is how much I love this film. Uh, what? <laughs> He's got a tattooed on his arm. Yeah. I keep forgetting. So, hardcore. Oxidization and everything on the helmet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll put a picture on so you can see this better for especially the people that are just listening. Um, this was the first thing I saw in theaters. And I guess, yeah, it, it's impacted my life probably as much as any of my other favorite films like Jurassic Park or anything. So it's, it, made me want to pursue cinema because of how fascinating it was to see a, a man fly on such a large screen and everything all the stunt pilot work and all the snappy dialogue and everything but uh came out in on june 24th 91 and uh stars a relatively unknown billy campbell as a, a stunt pilot that does shows for John Polito uh, in the 1930s. It's November 1938, so the war is coming, but they're off in California, so that's not really in the back of their minds yet. Uh, he dates a young college student played by Jennifer Connelly, and uh, then he accidentally discovers a test rocket pack that uh, Howard Hughes had developed and decides to try it out and becomes the rocketeer so we can we can go into more detail about like how that happens and what else happens there but it's iron man meets Indiana <laughs> jones yeah meets captain meets america the, captain america meets the great waldo pepper yeah uh this is important that he mentioned captain america because joe johnston was the director of this this is a second feature film after honey i shrunk the kids but this film is why he got the job to do Captain America because then it has the same flair. Yeah, and he, you know, had the experience of dealing with like a poppy 1940s culture, the, you know, 1938 instead yeah. of proper 1940s. Just the whole pulp feel of that era just to get the, you know, not just comic books, but those, those periodicals that they would flip through, the serials that they would... Uh, have on the screen themselves that at one point Jennifer Connelly and, and Billy Campbell go to the movies they're essentially watching a film that could have starred the two of them back in the 30s so a little meta the uh the screenwriters had originally planned to do something that was akin to a serial that actually I, I forget the name I meant to write this down but it, it looks like the Rocketeer back in the day it's a little bit of what the comic creator Dave Stevens had intended it to look like. He, he was trying to make it off of the serials of the 30s. And so they were going to release it maybe black and white or their original draft had it like black and white. It's going to be in a serial format chapter wise and get that like almost like Grindhouse did for the Grindhouse era. Get the feel of 30 oh, serials. I, I would imagine like Flash Gordon would be a that's a good yeah. example. It didn't say that's the exact example, but if for our listeners, that's yeah, essentially like, the idea. Because like in the 30s, the serials were like, you know, Flash Gordon, uh, you know, 
Superman, Batman back in their early days and Batman before became like, you know, a superhero vigilante. He was a detective. So yeah. like, he, um, I guess solving crimes every week or whenever the publications came out. Yeah. Dave Stevens was also inspired by Betty Page, who was the uh, pinup model of the 40s and 50s. And so he designs uh, his character, Betty, in the film is called Jenny, so they wouldn't have any uh, complications. Yeah. He basically names his character Betty Page in the comics. So, um, and in the comics, like, like dead on, she like, looks exactly like, like it, yeah. comic book version of Betty Page, whereas like Jennifer Connelly, Connelly is just like, you know, it's just she's, a pretty girl. <laughs> she's a brunette. She could be a pinup model at this point in her life. Uh, but the other thing is, Dave Stevens befriended Betty Page later in her life. He discovered that she lived in his neighborhood. So he found her and said, hey, I've been inspired by you. Look, these are the comics that I made for you and everything. And they kind of took care of her in her old age because she was in her 80s at that point. Yeah, she had a she had, didn't she had a pretty rough uh, after her modeling career. Like, she, she, I think she chose to end it. I think so. Uh, yeah. she, she she lived out her rest of her, the rest of her days pretty modestly. She became a, uh, I think, a diner waitress at one point yeah. yeah at one point she married she married a christian dude and was like yeah, really into a, god and like retired in florida newborn christian yeah i don't think florida maybe later yeah florida, later 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 in her life she, i think she retired to florida or was there for a while you know i don't know where dave stevens lived at the time it didn't say when i found that out yeah <laughs> but i i had assumed right. california because all this was california so yeah dave stevens playing playing the long game <laughs> yeah yeah so at this point they're friends and so he made sure her name wasn't misconstrued or anything but because i think she also like put that behind her like she was yeah. over her pinup days and yeah, yeah. like because the new newborn christianity uh they did actually dave unfortunately passed away pretty young he was only 54 and uh, he had a um Terry sickle cell carcinoma i think it was a very rare yeah cancer and I, I bring this up because i remember at the time everybody across the comics industry was like we got to promote trying to get gofundmes and stuff when that first appeared uh because i think it was back in 2014 he passed away uh to to promote trying to find a cure for that and so i'd, I'd at least say like if you ever donate that that would be in honor of this film even and uh, Betty actually passed away like three months later, just of old age. Uh, so it's interesting that they both went around the same time, even if he was a little younger. But, uh, either way, he was there for the making of this film. And uh, the two screenwriters were uh, Paul DeMeo and I believe Danny Bilson. He uh, is actually the father of Rachel Bilson, who you might know as summer from the oc what? yeah there it is danny bilson so if anyone liked the oc apparently nope. you can mm -hmm. kind of thank it for the rocketeer in a certain way from a certain point of view yeah not that this made any money for danny bilson but he's he's apparently been a um professor for decades at usc so if we had gone to usc we might have met the guy who wrote rocketeer that would have been Pretty big, hey, man. I guess. Missed opportunity. <laughs> the Rocketeer. Yes, I am. Yeah. Cool. We'll have a good day. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, he could have taught us screenwriting, is what yeah, I'm, right. I'm assuming he does there. You know? This is, yeah. But yeah, the uh, film is 
like Jeff said, very much like Indiana Jones in a sense that it, it has that flair for adventure. There's a nightclub like uh, Temple of Doom that they have right. a set piece in. Uh, there's same candy there's Nazis, Nazi Zeppelin. Yeah. Um, it's it's World War Two. There's action. There's adventure. There's Nazis. There's you know someone stealing something that doesn't belong to them and using it to become the greatest of their time. Yeah, I kind of I kind of hinted at the jetpack. It's it starts out the film with a chase between feds and mobsters. And the mobsters mostly as everything happened in the 30s. Yeah, that's the only thing that was going on. It was just (laughs) the depression happened, so everyone stayed home, and then mobs and mobs ruled the streets. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I Uh, mean, I guess that was the 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 actual outside perception of America too. Like, legitimately, that's how both the Nazis and the Japanese Empire viewed the Americans: like corrupt gangster cowboys that have like like no substance to their like whatever their propaganda was spewing out at the time but like turns out you know more of america was like the rocketeer than they were like gangsters yeah but it's but it's important to note that that this mob was was run by a guy named eddie valentine played by none other than mr paul sorvino we we mentioned a couple months ago in the december episode because goodfellas came out then yeah he's coming back he's a he's a recurring guest on this show yeah, he was on dick tracy we talked about him yeah. there so he and those are the two films he did before this he's definitely just been a gangster in three street films <laughs> weirdly enough there's a henchman in this that kind of looks like he's right out of dick tracy yeah. right that's what i'm like do they use the same makeup right yeah. dick tracy. was rick baker on dick tracy because i i'm pretty sure this was a rick baker no nah, i don't think that was rick baker on that one mm. yeah mm. i didn't but look that up because i did the think- guy listed for the, the the person who played Lothar in in the credits is listed as Tiny Ron. Hmm. Mm, wonder why he was a basketball player who, finding out that there was another basketball player or someone else, I think maybe an actor named Ron Taylor, when he started getting into acting, named himself Tiny Ron to be ironic. Well, okay then. Yep. The more you know, Tiny Zeus Lister. He actually looks. I, I found pictures of him. He looks like a pretty handsome blondes like just plain dude just happened to be seven feet tall and uh just slap a lot of prosthetics on yeah. his face to make him look like look monstrous and that does kind of like what they do with the guy looking comics chunk in um the goonies because he was a football player and they put yeah. prosthetics on him so they get the physical type and then just build on top of them the prosthetics right yeah, so his impending, or what's the word? Is it imposed, imposing? Imposing yeah. frame. Impending. Yeah. yeah. Well, the guy that died, it was. He's coming into the frame. Like, impending. Yeah. yeah. All right. His imposing so. frame was clearly <laughs> all him. Right. And he wasn't just running on stilts. Right. Um, all right. So it opens with feds versus mobsters. Yes. I was going to say, um, this is where the rocket pack comes in. They are trying to steal it from Howard Hughes so they can give it off to the Nazis. The Nazis have hired them to... But they don't know but that. they don't know that, yeah. yeah. Right. They just, Actually, they just know, like, we got hired to steal something. That's what we do. Yeah, there's a Nazi agent that's, that's trying to get Eddie Valentine to f- procure this for them. Uh, so... <clears throat> 
the feds get the better of the uh, gangsters. They get shut up and in a lull in the chase, uh, one that's surviving at the time hides the rocket pack in a uh, hangar that he's driving through, which happens to be uh, Cliff Secord's hangar. Uh, it's not his personally, but that's yeah. where he it's, flies it's, out it's, of. It's the hangar. John Polito, I mentioned, is the yeah. guy who owns it. Yeah, they're renting it for uh, yeah. use. Yeah. Alan yeah, Alan Arkin is the mechanic for the place, and they're kind of a team together that usually are... They, they've been working on a plane that they can impress the people at these shows that they can also race in. They'll make their money from this, and they've been working for years on this test plane to try and uh, finally recoup everything. And in that chase the feds actually shoot up or i think it's no no, it was the gangsters gangsters. the gangsters gangsters shot at him and i I would assume they don't say it but the gangster probably assumes that the the plane is in on the chase yeah so he's kind of innocent in that yeah i'd shoot at something going after me but the plane happens to hover over the chase he's just a trigger driving through his airfield like this is where he's like you know piloting essentially yeah so they mess up the plane and ruin it because it ends up crash landing yeah, we'll crash landing into them. Into a yeah. gas truck. Yeah. yeah, and into a gas truck. The first of two times things crash into gas trucks that just happen to be there. I don't know if that was a, a rampant that, that issue. Spark- I mean, I feel like that might have been foreshadowing. later because like, it's actually a giant gas gas tank yeah, yeah, yeah. in the sky. Yeah. Except it's using literal gas instead of gasoline. Right. That is kind of funny. I'm sure that was a thing where you didn't really have gas stations and you had to have a gas truck on site at hangars at least all the time. Yeah, well, you can't exactly yeah, well, pull yeah. up a stunt plane to a gas station anyway, so they had right. to have their own. Yeah, you had to drive the gas to the plane. I don't know what I would think of. You, you bring like a container or something. I don't know. Um, anyway, Cliff and... Uh, a lot of uh, explosions. Yeah, Cliff, Cliff and PV. PV's Alan Arkin. Uh, Who, yeah, let's, let's talk about that for a second. Okay, so... <laughs> Cliff's got this this father figure brown looking mechanic who like you know okay. he, he flies the plane and Alan Arkin in one of his best roles <laughs> plays the mechanic slash father figure that fixes everything. I will admit I always forgot that Alan Arkin was in this. And even though I shouldn't, I love Alan Arkin yeah. in this. And when he won his Oscar for Little Miss Sunshine, I was like who is this guy? Why, why is he getting an Oscar for his career? I don't know him. I hadn't seen Catch-22 at that point, which is one of his other best roles. Or the uh, he, is, he is pretty good in Little Miss Sunshine in hindsight 15 years later. But Yeah, but he, yeah. he looked so young in this. I mean, I, I most recently saw him in uh, watching the Kaminsky Method. Mm-hmm. Where he's like literally just supposed to be an aging actor or an aging yeah. uh, Hollywood guy. He always looked this old, though. Yeah. Well, he's 85. You know what it is? Hair. It's the hair back then. Yeah, he yeah, definitely he didn't have hair like that. Oh, you know what's funny? Ontario Quinn. But now that we're talking about like act, seeing actors like far apart in separate movies, uh, the guy that plays the Rocketeer, mm, like Campbell. Yeah, I only seen him in the Rocketeer as a kid. Next yeah. time, next movie I see him but in, it doesn't go that far. Yeah, yeah, no, it doesn't. Because the next movie I see him in. He's beating up Jen- Jennifer Lopez as, oh, a, no. as a former yeah. abusive uh, husband boyfriend. Yeah. So, like, yeah. knowing that he was from in The Rocketeer and then, like, years later in my teens, seeing him beat up Jennifer Lopez, I'm just like, huh? Yeah. Like, he went from good guy yeah. to bad guy, like, 10 years later. Ten years later. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. 
I don't know if Corey said the name, but Enough is the film. Ah, yeah. uh, there we yeah. go. Yeah. Um, I never saw that, but I knew yeah. that he was in it. I just never got around to seeing it. He, he was also, uh, a few years after that, actually 10 years after that, he was in a show called The Killing, uh, which, which came from a Norwegian program. They, they adapted it for AMC. And he plays the most likely suspect in a killing in town. It's a small town up north somewhere, like Washington or Maine or something. Not Norway? Well, obviously it is in, in the original. Uh, but he's a mayoral candidate that could have gained from the killing. I only watched the first three episodes. He's very sinister. There's, he's having an affair with someone in the town, so there's motive. I don't know if he's the actual killer, and I keep meaning to go back and finish the first season to find out if the Rocketeer is the murderer. But he's probably the least likely since they're making him seem like the most likely. He's the red herring. Yeah. Maybe. Um, I'm, I've, I was guessing back then that he was the red herring. So. But those are the three big things he ever did. Well, he almost, he almost didn't even get the role. Sure. He was the unknown that uh, Joe Johnson and Dave Stevens pushed for. And they wanted to go with, do you, do you have a list? Apparently Disney uh, favored Johnny Depp was the favorite. Really? Which at the also, time I'd be fine with. Yeah, but they were also talking to uh, Dennis Quaid, Kurt Russell, Bill Paxson, and Emilio Estevez. Hmm. Vincent D'Onofrio was offered it and turned it down. I would have loved so Emilio weird. Estevez. Yeah, either him or like, uh, who's on, who else was on the list? Dennis mm-hmm. Quaid, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell would have been fine. I would have said Dennis Quaid. He would have. He would have been a. And at the time, he 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 got a little. He aged a little bit by the time like Parent Trap comes around a few years later. So I I he's definitely in the dad role by then. I don't know if he's a little too old in ninety one, well, but well, I mean, Parent Trap was like 98, 99. Yeah, like seven so, years later. Yeah, he probably would have been. 40, he probably still would have looked. Young he was doing DOA around this time, so yeah. it was. He's still in his thirties. Time. I mean, Billy Campbell was thirty one when he made this. So. You know what? No, no. If they had made a Flash Gordon, well, no, they did make a Flash Gordon movie in the 80s. Didn't they? They did. With, with the main villain. If they had made a Flash Gordon movie yeah. more like in the style of The Rocketeer, Dennis Quaid would have been perfect. Yeah, I think he'd be better than that. Yeah. I think he fits that. Emilio has that flop hair. Billy Campbell actually got a haircut based on a comic for his audition. Ah, and that's so, why he got the part. <laughs> yeah, I think he walked in there and they're like, that's my guy. I drew him. So He fooled them all. Yeah, I think he does a good job. Yeah, he's, I, good, he's, he's charming. Nice. Yeah, ah, he, he definitely. I need to do the dissenting opinion. It's it's a shame that he hasn't yeah. really done too much in, you know, the thirty years since. But what do you think, Corey? I you know it's weird is uh, because it's almost essentially the same role as Steve Rogers in a way, but yeah, something about the way Chris Evans is square is more charming. Mm. I feel like Billy Campbell comes off very vanilla and reluctant most of the time yeah he just doesn't have that panache he doesn't i don't know i I guess like a cocky you know 1930s stunt pilot that just wants to like live his life and then accidentally you know becomes a. I feel like he's so unwitting throughout the whole movie like he doesn't want to participate in any of it that is how the character's written in the comics right so at least the originals, uh, there, there was a uh, update after Dave passed away where other artists started taking over to honor his memory. And I think proceeds initially went to that uh, sickle cell or um, Harry sickle cell yeah. program. So <clears throat> the uh, character got a little more patriotic or at least a little bolder 
uh, in these updates. So I think I like his performance because of nostalgia mostly, but I, I see what you're saying about like, Jennifer Connelly is a little more, um, everybody else is so much more colorful than him in the, and I know his role is to be colorless. Mm. Mm -hmm. But, um, he just gets completely overshadowed by the main villain, Timothy Dalton, who's basically yeah. Errol Flynn. And honestly, he would have been great for that Errol Flynn biopic that they did a few years ago. Kevin I guess like they kind of had to make him a little more vanilla. If like, uh, if you're going to want to make him feel like an ordinary, like every man, every man's guy. I like, think that's all it is. Yeah. Like he, he's like the common guy, like simple ambitions. He wants to be a pilot, blah, blah, blah. And who and like, do you want to root for? The famous movie star who you don't realize is a Nazi or yeah. the guy who actually you could be if you put this rocket pack on, you know? And this is before, like, like a every blue collar guy's dream. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Timothy Dalton, though, steals the movie. In my oh, opinion. he certainly does. He is uh, <laughs> much like his He's character. a good villain. I wanted to see that whole, I almost want to see that movie within a movie <laughs> uh, where, they're, yeah. where they're introducing where he's shooting that swashbuckling. The weird musketeer movie. Where he has many yeah. in there. Yeah. But one, one of the... Because he, he played James Bond once. Yeah, well, twice. he had just, he's of his two Bond films. Ah, uh, so like he right, has to right play right a villain. Which he's my favorite Bond. They, they reference that because he says the line, like when they're fighting in the, in the Zeppelin, he says the line, I or, or no, they're like, Where's your stunt man now? And he, he's like, I do my own stunts. Yeah. Which was a reference to the fact that as James Bond, he was like the only Bond actor to do his own stunts. And you could tell that I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know if Daniel Craig eventually did. Obviously, at the time, he was the one. Right. But, yeah. Hey, you know, that's semantics. Um, yeah, he is obviously Errol Flynn and an interesting point on that is that when they wrote this everyone kind of was under the assumption in the same way that Lindbergh was clearly a uh, Hitler fan uh, Errol Flynn was a secret Nazi and there was no way to dispute it because he had passed away and a few years later a book comes out having clear evidence that Errol Flynn wasn't a Nazi at all or, or a spy in any way yeah if anything he was sim more similar to Lindbergh where he might have been a fan of the country and then they also happen to become nazis you know like yeah we're not 100 percent sure but we're he's not as flagrant as uh timothy dalton's nazi was he didn't have like a secret uh enigma machine to pass yeah. on information get a rocket back you know <laughs> i think that's actually the coolest bit of trivia was they the production got their hands on an actual enigma machine for code accuracy when they were like they they yeah. When he said the reason the you didn't... message to the to the Nazis, they got an actual Enigma machine so they can code it the right way. But the then reason... they cut that bit for time. Yeah. So that's why you never saw it. Mm. So uh I'm gonna spring this up now because I brought it up to you before. Yeah, yeah. Because like the James Bond thing just reminded me of another thing about the pistol Timothy uh Dalton uses. Is your favorite thing? Yeah, that's he's right, he's a... the firearms guy. Yeah, the firearms. He, he's using a uh, Walter P-38 uh, pistol, 
Which um, and the final scene at Griffith Observatory yeah. is the one he holds on Jenny. Yeah, he doesn't that um, that gun doesn't go yeah. into production until 1939. This movie takes place in 38, so he himself is carrying a prototype weapon while you know the Rocketeer is wearing a prototype weapon. Also, mm. back to me like remembering that he was James Bond because I completely forgot uh, the Walter P uh, P38 or at least uh, a model along the Walter uh, uh, production was the first gun that James Bond used in any film mm -hmm. was was that gun so yeah. that's uh, how he got his stats it's very appropriate I'm sure the art directors knew which one to use for Neville oh, Sinclair yeah. because right. they knew it was Bond by the time they probably made yeah. that I don't or procure them I guess because he was such a good villain I just forgot he was Bond right like this I is just, what like, I like him better for I like his Bond films I think he's under Bond. Bond. wasn't he only in two Bond films yeah four year old not four years only uh License to Kill and um Living uh, Daylights yes Living Daylights I like Living Daylights better even mm. I've never I, seen I, any yeah. Bond films which yeah. is weird we should watch them mm. yeah they're very, Actually, very he has a perfect track record as Bond because he's only done two so he didn't have time to exactly that's, I think, why Lazenby's a little underrated because his is good. Right. But it's the only he one he did. Better ones, ones. But he didn't have time to screw it up like some of the Roger Moore ones. Right. You can forgive Roger Moore because of the quantity. Right. And Timothy Dalton his for the quality. Good outweighs the bad. Same thing right. with Connery. Yeah. With Brosnan and Craig, they have five. Brosnan. Yeah. And it might be that way with Craig. We don't know. We're never yeah. going to know. So we'll do a James Bond analysis one day. No time for No Time to Die. We'll, we'll, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, think, I think Timothy Dalton's usually the best part of the film. Um, though this and the art the, direction, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, everything is spot on. I mean, Joe Johnson comes from an art background, he did paintings on the Star Wars trilogy, he's the person that created Boba Fett. He's the original designer, which yeah, is no. where you see the Rocketeer. It's like he was a match made in heaven for this film. Okay. You know what's odd about this? And you're a fan of Fett. You never hear about this uh, studio doing this ever. Disney looked at the dailies and they bumped up the production budget from 25 to 35 million. That never happens. Yeah. That never happens. Yeah. So they uh, must have liked what they saw yeah. up until that point. Um. Yeah, so Joe Johnson, I think I think he's a one, easily one of my favorite directors. He made a couple of films that I like. I know you're not a huge fan of it, but he did Jumanji. Uh, Corey. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Corey hates Jumanji. But, yeah. Um, I think realizing this, I always kind of forget that he did that, uh, or at least I did when we were re-watching yeah. this and I, I was going over his filmography. It has the same kind of flair. The music's a little bit similar. Um James Horner is the person that provides the music for this. I saw an interesting trivia that a lot of what he used in this, he kind of rehashed for Titanic. So the upswell when he gets the rocket pack is kind of the first time you see the boat in Titanic, uh, which I don't have a problem with. I don't care if you're re reusing your own music, John Williams. I was going to say, John Williams does it all the time. It's <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and Elfman. as this was going on, I was like, this is maybe my favorite part, James Horner's music. I, I completely forgot how fun it is. Uh, and I think that makes him more exciting if he's being vanilla, you know? So, um, but anyway, back to Joe Johnson. I just, I, I wanted to sidetrack to that and not forget James Horner. He's uh, good at intermingling uh, big special effects and set pieces with smaller character moments 
mm-hmm. even in stuff like that clearly didn't have a coherent script at the time, like Jurassic Park 3. There's parts where Sam Neill can shine. Mm-hmm. Sandra Nivola has stuff to do. Yeah, the pterodactyls are exciting. Whereas in the book, there it was a nice scene, but they, he actually fleshes that out in a coherent way. Um, so I think, what was the fourth film that I liked him for? He did... Oh, well, Captain America, of course. Uh, October Sky, it's a smaller oh. piece. It fits in with these other ones pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's a, he's had a decent career. He kind of faded off after Captain America. It was like one last hurrah, hurrah yeah, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Uh, he, could, he could pop in again. He's supposed to make the reboot that's coming to Disney Plus of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which I don't know if is ill-advised given this Turner and Hooch show that just came out but right. I mean Honey I Shrunk the Kids like they they had a uh, they had a TV series for a long time mm-hmm. so like and it was cheesy as hell but like it still did fun. well yeah. so who knows maybe like a new series I think it'll be fine it's just be. a movie oh just a movie yeah, then, just like, called yeah. Shrunk but Josh Gad is going to be in it as Rick Moranis and it's, it, it's is coming back so that's one glimmer of hope yeah. and and obviously he worked with joe johnson on the original so maybe there's some chemistry there that they can recapture so i think just the fact that rick's coming back is what's going to help yeah so. uh I'm trying to think who else we haven't talked about we should talk about terry o'quinn yes yes I didn't realize for the longest time. I rewatched this for the first time in like ten years after the Aviator came out. So now I have the whole backstory of Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes, there you go. Speak in um, the back of my head. So seeing Terry O'Quinn play him, I don't know. I think he might have done a little better than Leo. He looks a lot more like him. He's more of a doppelganger. It was a lot less. I was distracted by the fact that he wasn't conversing with him while peeing in a a mason's jar. So it should be accurate. It's still like 40 years away from uh, being <laughs> Obsidian. But <clears throat> I mean, wasn't like wasn't he insane by that point? Or we didn't know. Yeah, he, he had it under wraps. According to the yeah. sources, he had tendencies, but it wasn't. Yeah, he was he was a little too too uh happy go lucky with the handshaking and shoulder touching to be a real happy right. Sure, yeah. You're right about that. Yeah. But it is cool they didn't when know. people like historical figures into fiction like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a couple actors that they threw in there too, like like prominent w- actors of that era. W.C. Fields yeah. and Clark Gable show up at yeah. the nightclub when uh, Neville takes Jenny out to dinner. Uh, there was another. That's one of the tensest scenes in the movie, and there's yes. not action going on. Yeah, that that was a neat trick that he does with the paper in the soup. Yeah. Well, Cliff Cliff knows that uh, Neville is a Nazi by this point when they get to the, the place and he slips a piece of paper into soup and pretends to be a waiter giving the two of them soup. And so she sees the message, you got to get out of here. And it sinks to the, or rises to the yeah. top. So Neville actually knows. And there's no dialogue for that. It's all in his performance. Like, oh, I've been, I've been made. Yeah. Right. I gotta, like he's on to me. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a good little uh, trick, I think. Um, yeah, it's like everything in that nightclub scene, like all all the problems uh, that they were like having, just like came together right there. Yeah, 
because like Cliff was being uh, uh, chased by the gangsters and the gangsters were also trying to track down um, Jenny. Jenny, because like they don't know the identity of the Rocketeer. <clears throat> uh, they're going based on what little leads that they have. And like, it's just like this whole like uh, basically a wild goose chase. Yeah, because Cliff's uh, right under the nose. I actually like that because the way they set this up it's not obvious. We know everything as it's going on, but it's it's fun watching the gangsters all figure out, hey, this is the girl we've been yeah. looking for. We got to find that girl's boyfriend. And they go down. That's another little trick yeah. where they go down the wall of pictures and they're like, hey, she's standing next to you. Oh, fuck. Yeah. We got to so get like, you. It's like, it's like it all comes together. And they almost like, said guys that. have the edge over the good guy. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's, it's a great scene. <clears throat> so, yeah, I think. Very- I think I, I I don't know I I love it because it's not it's wholesome but not campy. I remember seeing this film like once as a kid and I was three-ish when it came out. Um so I watched it like a little bit later and it was I remember loving it and watching it again, you know, when we're watching these movies that were meant for kids later on in life a lot of it seems really cheesy and like over the top and campy but this didn't feel that way at all like this it felt like i was watching indiana jones with a jetpack like it was it still holds up as a really good movie yeah um i credit that to you the can, writers you can sure. tell that like I, I didn't know the whole joe johnson connection um that he was because watching this after seeing Marvel develop their universe for the last 12 years, you know, you can see how much they borrowed from this movie. Um, mm-hmm. Like almost every flying shot was replicated with Iron Man later on. And all of these, you know, these characters that show up and they're interacting with like real life people. And um, yep. Howard Hughes is essentially uh what's his name's father Howard Stark. yeah yeah Howard Stark. um but yeah i mean it's still it's a landmark movie mm-hmm. those for Disney, he's fighting but... hydra for christ's sakes right exactly. <laughs> yeah it's, um, it, imagine if this film comes out 10 years later would this have launched off a different type of comics revolution than x-men did or i feel like this probably... it would have done better at the box office too sure yeah yeah, the special effects it's kind of, it's kind of like a cult movie. There enough. Yeah, it, in a it, either way, it, it led to the the comic revolution we know because I think people had this in the back of their mind. They were hungry for something like X Men because of stuff like Rocketeer, Shadow, and Dick Tracy, and the Phantom. Yeah, and the yeah, Phantom. like all the because I, yeah. I didn't see it. And all those like, I guess like the era superhero movies just all kind of came out around the same time. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Batman had just happened. Right. and superman a few years earlier but uh it was like you couldn't touch anything that wasn't the two of them you couldn't do marvel they thought because they tried the the campy captain america yeah. and the fantastic four i think so that, they thought I it think was there just was a, a waste fantastic four. audience or money to to put into these kind of things uh i think it would have been nice to have it be more successful they wanted to do a trilogy, but I actually kind of like it's in a similar way. One of my favorite shows is Firefly, and they always talk about what they would have done in a second season if they'd gotten that. 
but it's almost perfect because it's only 13 episodes. You don't get the down swing. Like we were just saying with Timothy Dalton, his two Bond films are good because he didn't have a chance to ruin his credibility. Or the writers ruin it. Or right, or something go, like wrong something go wrong in production. Wrong. Yeah. So imagine a sequel happens and it's just not as good. Maybe Jennifer Connelly gets, she's only signed on for two. So maybe they kill her off in the second one, which would have been a total waste and incorrect maneuver. Or make like have like make it big as a movie star, right. and, like he has to find another girlfriend. Yeah, or everyone asks for too much money, so they're like Billy Campbell's asking for too much money. Who the hell is this? Let's just recast him. He's in a helmet anyway. You know, who knows like, what would happen? I feel like now nowadays talking about it, would, a sequel. it would probably be more like the um, you know, what Marvel's doing with their their television things. Like this would have been more of a um. Falcon and the Winter Soldier type mm-hmm. set. I wouldn't mind a show like that now. Yeah, which think... incidentally there is a TV show, but it's meant for children, like mm-hmm. five year olds. Which is similar to the Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous. It's animated. It's computer generated. It's supposed to be like for three to five year olds, but I haven't checked it out yet. I, I mean, want well, to. I feel like Camp Cretaceous is more for like seven to ten yeah <laughs> with with the amount of violence that they have in it and yeah. like that might be for a little older than yeah luckily uh, luckily it is still a quality kids show because legitimately i remember seeing us yeah, yeah i remember seeing jurassic park in theaters and like everything was for the most part okay up until like the velociraptor attacks uh ellie sattler in the uh, um generator room then i like me and me and my baby sister lost our shit because i was so scary she's probably too young for that oh yeah i don't know like <clears throat> you're you're five at that point yeah i'm five at that so... point. but like uh after that scared the crap out of me like uh like i was in love with that movie it's like dinosaurs can be badass <laughs> i will mention this later in the in our series but beating the beast comes out in december and uh, I was so scared of Belle being chased by the wolves. I like hid in my dad's chest and everything, like freaking out. This marveled at, like I was at the, on the edge of my seat. So my parents knew that it was just the shadows that would scare me. Like, yeah. I was fine, but um, I did want to mention that I didn't stop quoting for a long time when uh, Cliff first does his flight and lands in the bog and he takes the helmet off and he's like i like it i would i would run around my house and quote that to my parents all the time so i have to point out that i was obsessed with this movie as a kid nice Hang on. always doing that all right i um i guess do you guys have any grades on this is there anything else i've well how do we feel since they are talking about doing a sequel a belated sequel um where do we think they go with this in this current zeitgeist, what, what would we want to see? What would you well, want I to know, see? I know in the cartoon, the plot of it is that it's his great-granddaughter. Her grandfather is around. He's dead, Cliff Secord. Just but it's a Salt for Truth legacy quote? Yeah. I think, they tie, I think they tie it into Marvel somehow. Marvel yeah, by the rights. That's probably what they would do. But it takes place owns in the them. So the Cold War is going on. Her father and grandfather are there. And, you know, you get allusions to Cliff and Jenny without having to, like, go upon what they I do know Billy Campbell popped up in an episode to do, like, they see an old newsreel of the Rocketeer, and he talks in it. So they, they, they could get him back for a voice thing if they did an animated series, I'm sure. 
I feel uh, yeah, no, I feel like an animated series would be like <laughs> good if they went in the direction of like um uh the Star Wars animated series. Mm-hmm. Like the like, Bad Batch right now. Oh yeah, because like they, they have a per- perfect uh just ended perfect today. reference to work from because they already have flying animated characters with jetpacks, Mandalorians. Right. Which is Joe Johnson's legacy. Because like, uh, else. with the with the live live action show with, of the Mandalorian, they didn't start having him like fly till the tail end of the first season and like when they have him fly in the second season it's just like him just zooming through the sky yeah uh but like you look in the animated series for like clone wars or rebels or anything with like anybody with jetpacks like, they do some pretty cool like maneuvers because you know they're animated you don't have to have like this weird clunky uh person that's live action and try try to make them still look live action but you have to animate them because they're flying. You, don't, you don't have to have paid like consistent there. animation throughout so like yeah you have a little more freedom to do uh more uh aerial acrobatics i also feel like this this would definitely lend itself to being um i mean the the 3d like clone wars animation would be good but i feel like they also have an opportunity to take it backwards a different step um and make it more like the cartoons of the 30s mm. um and just kind of like one of like the old school superman mm-hmm. oh like the fleischer studios like, right exactly yeah. like fleischer studios superman but you know with with whatever modern twists they they wanted to i feel like that would be a really cool because this movie is you know, it's a it's a superhero movie, but it's also like an art deco piece. And I think I think it's why I love that kind of style. It's yeah. from this movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no. It's probably like because like art deco like was a big deal in the uh, Batman animated series. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean it's kind of like that. But I was thinking <laughs> although I was thinking this when when they're watching the the Nazi propaganda film right in the middle of it. Yeah. And you know, Howard Hughes just pulls up the big TV and and so when they were pitching this. Like the there was no animation in the rest of the movie, and the animators were just like, "Hang on, you want us to make what? <laughs> yeah. This is this is for the movie, right? This you know is you're not, doing Little Mermaid, this is not a here. side project. This is like, can I get this in writing that this is <laughs> a film within the film? I just <laughs> want to make sure because there's just like you know giant animated swastikas everywhere. I'm like, oh, this is a Disney film. Cool. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to point out uh, that in the uh, footage that Hughes shows them of the uh, test flight that the Germans tried, that test pilot is Dave Stevens. So he got oh, to really? be the rocketeer, yeah. That's amazing. He dies. Yeah. <laughs> he so he's the one that blows up. <laughs> um, I was thinking, as Jimmy was mentioning, what he thought an animated show could look like. I never really thought about this, but a couple episodes ago, you asked, what would you do if you were given a blank check to do something for Disney or a sequel or something. And Corey was like, you're going to do a sequel to Rocketeer. That's what you would want. I, remember, I don't remember what episode that was on what we were talking about. Maybe Rescuers Down Under, because I think we were saying like, what would you want to do if you had the chance? And I was like, Rescuers Evil. So I'm trying to think what I would do. I feel like today with this uh, cynical take that they always do in these films. I don't want to gritty. I know. The way I went straight up was not even to cast Billy Campbell again or anything, but you could have it post-war. What does a Rocketeer look like? 
I feel like that's too cynical because it's a it's a nice level that America gets to right after the war and then the Korean War takes off and there's a little bit of cynicism there. Uh, I don't know that I'd want to see a rocketeer from the 50s or 60s, especially because by then he's probably 50 himself. Uh, so I, I also don't know that they'd want to just do a straight up World War II rocketeer where he's off fighting Nazis because that's basically Captain America, the first soldier or whatever. Yeah. Uh, the first Avenger. So what would you do with a direct sequel? I don't know. I think a series would be better, Ooh. but maybe going back and forth with a legacy. I, I don't know what I would you, do. Yeah, I don't think actually, about it though. If Disney were to do a sequel to a, um, The Rocketeer and have it take place during the Second World War, I feel like it might come off a little uh, reductive. Not reductive, but like uh, not like underpowered. Yeah, because too, too like what the thing is like what what they did with the Marvel movies, uh, especially with Captain America. Captain America was fighting the Nazis, but then they were like, no, he's fighting Hydra. Right, they uh, are there. Yeah, they, yeah. We've seen enough films of Nazis that yeah. uh, of World War Two in general that we don't necessarily we wouldn't be seeing anything new. Yeah. Well, there's that, but then also like uh, I guess for uh, Captain America and then eventually the Avengers, like they kind of have to like in real world, like real, real world history, like after the Nazis lost, they kind of just they 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 had no. Uh, relevance in the world theater anymore there's just like a bunch of like neo-nazi skinhead motherfuckers like scattered throughout the world but like who, who's captain america gonna fight so they right. came that's up with, why they pushed yeah so forward. so like they, they had to come up with the uh hydra to fight uh throughout the rest of you know you know the other decades after oh the in the world comics world. in the comics yeah uh so like it makes sense partly one for marvel slash disney to do that but like it kind of like it kind of feels muted, uh, yeah. historically speaking, because like they they're not fighting like the right. bad guys that we're we're familiar with. So like, but it's I wonder if like if like Disney slash Marvel like made a sequel to uh, the Rocketeer, like especially during the war, like how how much of it would they uh you know Disney fight tone down or, or even it would uh, be much of the same where yeah. oh there are gangsters again oh yeah he's fighting a nazi who has either a spy or right up there yeah. in his face and it's like, like it's not going to be that much and, and mo most world war ii movies like yeah sure the japanese were also the villains but you don't really see them yeah that no, often as villains but when, i also don't know if you want cinema. him over the pacific ocean or anything the other but thing Nijima, oh yeah i don't know about that the other thing to remember though is like it, it, we we remember the rocketeer as fighting nazis the only fighting that happened was he threw a punch at neville sinclair in the zeppelin he punches the a most... federal agent twice as much yeah. okay right <laughs> that's the thing like he's not a fighter he's a flyer and i think that would be an interesting way to go too where it's less like going in guns blazing like iron man and more of a a stealth mentality that's, that's the yeah, idea we around. start with him as a pilot in the air force yeah. he's overseas as cliff secord and at night he goes on stealth missions to recover information yeah and the no, way he, he escapes is by flying right. out of nazi camps yeah that, he sometimes was, he gets into too much skirmishes secord you're too public then they, they can't know that we're in germany already 
that kind of thing. Yeah. Dear Disney, please hire us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because like he he would like even you know he would be great for like recon. Yeah. Like a, that's it. It's a recon kind of person, yeah. not a in your face punching. Yeah. Because like back then, like like how how's a guy with a rocket pack gonna stand up against like a whole army of dudes on the ground with like you know guns, flamethrowers, rockets, tanks. His entire like, superpower is running might, really fast. Yeah, he might <laughs> he might have he might have an edge over like all the flying uh vehicles in the sky because he could go zoomies way faster. Yeah, he can uh, salute an outside pilot or something. But like, as he but, like by. but like but like um what 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 is he armed with? He, like in the comics, he's armed with a pistol. Yeah, which like, he loses immediately on the set. <laughs> yeah, like his iconic pistol, he barely has for a minute in the movie yeah which is also the same iconic pistol that's the foundation for han solo's gun mm-hmm. i'm telling you we gotta have a whole analysis on all these weapons jimmy <laughs> but yeah and i mean going back to um the cartoon discussion i think what what i was trying to say was batman the animated series but during the day Mm-hmm. that's a good point like that would be perfect Mm -hmm. but anyway sorry back to no no i think i'm good on this recon idea i kind of want to walk up right in back script (laughs) oh boy uh we didn't really hit on jennifer connelly too much Uh, i've heard the damsel in distress Yeah. yeah well that's actually a point uh paul DeMeo and and danny bilson tried to make sure she wasn't a damsel in distress and so as much as they can, they tried to make her have her own confidence and everything. Yeah. I mean, uh, she puts she puts her dukes up when she has to, though. She's so. the one that, uh, isn't she, doesn't she shoot someone on the Zeppelin? Or she, yeah, she's the one. She that, shoots a flare. She's the only yeah, one that she, kills a Nazi. She almost blows up everybody. Yeah, she like yeah. kicks one of them out the window. I'm like, yeah. Whoa. She actually technically kills a couple because like the guy, the, uh, the big brutish guy, yeah, he's Mozart. tied down, he's tied <laughs> by a chain to the top of the Zeppelin she so he doesn't fall off. But as the Zeppelin's blowing up, he's still tied to it. Yep. Jenny Blake so has a higher well, body count than the Nazis. Too. Yeah. yeah, she's the real hero. Yeah, yeah. So she 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 has a higher kill count than the Rocketeer. Yeah. So then we do a an Ant Man and the Wasp situation where she becomes the Rocketeer. They've hinted at that in some of the comics. Like she wants to get in on it, and he's like, "You're not a pilot." <laughs> oh, I ha- I've seen some. Pen- Women well, can't I've seen pilots. one pinup art where uh she's the Rocketeer and like ooh, yeah. that would look. That might look a little sexy. Not gonna yeah. lie. That's what they kept telling me to get as a uh, tattoo, like Jenny on my arm as like a pinup model. I'm like, that was my first tattoo. I don't know. <laughs> what do you pop by? Yeah, exactly. I'm not. So I got the, I got the, you know, the actual here. So clearly, I love this film. This is obviously one of my, I don't know, this top ten. I'm sure it's up there, close by. Uh, the nostalgia factor is clearly evident uh mostly because it's my first big screen experience but uh, obviously i'd give it an a plus so solid a also an a for I, know you're, I know you're gonna descend Corey. i see you shifting your eyes yeah uh i'm gonna go b minus only for the fact that i think Billy Campbell really is like he's an albatross around the movies there. But uh, 
kind of you know what you know what's weird i was wondering why i didn't find the action scenes as exciting as everyone else and i think it's i think jeff hit upon something i'm so used to fist to mono mono fist fights with the hero and the villain the fact that he just he he averts all that by flying away i'm just like (laughs) i want want some catharsis out of this i want him to fight back yeah so yeah i think what jeff said is probably one of the reasons why maybe he's too much of a good guy yeah yeah, I can't, I can't hit a person. He's a pacifist <laughs> with a jetpack. Yeah. Right, exactly. That's well, he'll hit the feds, no problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. He's special films in me. But, uh, Not exactly a hidden gem, but you know, still. Well, a- they didn't do that well point, in theaters. It came in fourth the first weekend and kind of disappeared almost immediately. So really? it barely recouped its money. Yeah, it is kind of a cult classic these days because of that. Yeah, because like growing up, I remember it only made forty six million. Total. Yeah, growing up, most crazy made like most kids I knew were obsessed with the uh, uh, Batman, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Power Rangers. Like, there's so many other like hero figures that were just obsessed over, and like Rocketeer was kind of just in the background. Yeah, and it kind of came and went pretty quickly. It's gone by. I mean, I said it came out June twenty fourth. It's gone by the middle of July. So it was barely out for the Fourth of July weekend. You had Terminator Two dominating the box office, so you couldn't. Yeah, no, it just couldn't keep compete with like the other movies that were coming out. Yeah, we're gonna talk about some big ones. Flickers, one of the more beloved uh, Billy Crystal films, written by mm-hmm. Paul Blue Mandel and Lowell Gans. Uh, dramedy. Um, I always found it a little erratic in tone, but I know a lot of other people don't have that problem with it. But I I like I think it. It's weird to transition from a scene where there's a stampede with a herd to another scene that's supposed to be real sitcommy and broad to another scene where Daniel Stern has a gun in a guy's mouth. Just it doesn't flow as well. Yeah, okay, Jack right. Palance is great, and he deservedly won an Oscar for this. But I think I think the highlight of the film is actually Bruno Kirby when he tells his story to relate to his kids, and of course they take that. They take what worked in the first movie, which we'll get to the sequel, and they're like, Bruno, Bruno Kirby, we don't need him for the sequel. What do we need him for? Only the best part of that film. Put John Lovitz in his place. Oh, Jack Palance has a twin we never heard about? Oh, wait till we get to that sequel. It's so bad. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I like this film a lot, but I think that's also nostalgia. Um, it's the first thing I ever saw Billy Crystal in. Oh, okay. And probably Daniel Stern, to be honest. Mm. I know he was in that uh, baseball. I ne- I didn't see Home Alone until I was in high school. Oh wow! Really? Yeah. Okay. So I don't know if you guys remember. I wasn't a huge fan of it. So I think I would have liked it if I'd seen it as a kid. But... Yeah. yeah it like I-, I could tell you, like yeah. Home Alone's a good movie, but that's only because I seen it as a kid. Yeah. Uh, so again, nostalgia attached to it, but like uh, it's uh, it's kind of. It's, good. it's a bit over the top and unnecessary if you're an adult. Yeah. Um, Spike Lee movie Jungle Fever came out. So mm-hmm. Wesley Snipes and Annabelle Sciorra, they have an interracial relationship. Uh, I've never seen it, so I can't attest to its quality. But uh, we had just talked about, on those, he's been putting out movies in quick succession because we had just talked about Mo Better Blues yeah. a few months before this. Like November, he must have filmed them right back to back. Yeah, and uh, honestly, it showcases before he became Blade. Wesley Snipes had dramatic chops. 
before he became the action stereotype. Yeah, well, I mean, King of New York, he had a bit of drama. Right. I think once Blade hit, then everybody associated him with the action genre and Demolition Man, stuff like that. Yeah. Well, he well when those movies came out, like he was really uh, flexing his like uh, martial out martial arts prowess because like he he definitely like a few years or like a year after uh, Blade came came out, he was hosting a, a martial arts ceremony. Uh, I forget where, but I remember seeing it uh, when he when I was on vacation in North Carolina, and like uh, he either was hosting it or he got an award on it or something like that. Right. Um, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves came out. This is one of the other films that's kind of stuck around. Billy, or Billy, um, yeah, Billy Campbell. I almost said Billy Crystal. <laughs> he's, I read an interview with him about how he's living today. He's actually stayed in Norway. He, he got so fascinated with the killing. He met a woman in Norway and now lives there. So he's talking about like leaving Hollywood behind. And he said, yeah, the Rocketeer was obviously the biggest moment we were real excited about it and then stuff like robin hood came along and trounced it <laughs> so Ew. which is kind of another like swashbuckling period piece um honestly of it's weird because we just recently talked about alan rickman playing a villain in uh quigley and mm -hmm. i always associate him as a villain in this and die hard and he's mm -hmm. fantastic in both Honestly, again, the weak part of the film is Kevin Costner himself. His accent is either non-existent or all over the place. Um, that's that's but, the joke that Carrie Ills does in uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights, and I speak with an English accent. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I remember owning the... This is weird. This was... A, it was marketed towards adults, but I remember having the toys. I don't know if you guys had the toys like I had. I saw them Oh yeah, no, I, I vaguely remember the. I mean, that's coming. That's coming off the whole uh, Alien and Terminator thing, where like right. movies for adults will churn out toys for kids. Well, that's another thing about Rocketeer. This, they they pushed it forward finally because it had toyetic potential, and that's what these movies were doing. Right. Even though you shouldn't be marketing them, you have a not a sheriff of Nottingham playing with a Ripley like they didn't care if they were interacting yeah. people had the leg on their face there's a witch that has boils on her face they're yeah, marketing yeah. towards kids but they thought anything could be the next Star Wars is what it was yeah I mean well look well look at Terminator and uh, Predator like uh, rated R movies and they still like they still made it big with those toys yeah I had the I had the two thousand. yeah I, I had yeah I had uh I had a car or vehicle from Aliens. Like it was like a little, like it wasn't like the actual vehicle that they used in the Aliens, but like mm -hmm. a miniature version where it was a one seater, one character went into it, but like on the side, like a rocket thing came out and you could shoot it. Okay. Um, but I think I, I don't think I owned any xenomorphs or anything. Like you just, I just had, had the car. I just had <laughs> it probably had it probably came, it probably came with Hicks. Yeah. Or yeah, is Hicks, yeah, one of is one Hicks of the Marines. Michael Bean, or is that Michael yeah. Bean's Hicks? Yeah, it's gonna be Hicks, or it's gonna be whatever uh, Bill Paxton's. Gonna yeah, be. so like one one of the Marines, like yeah. I, I had just it. like a Waylon Utani, yeah, fan. But like I remember, like a bunch of my friends, they had like several different xenomorphs. Like a bunch of kids had the bull alien. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember those being in stores. Yeah, I just I didn't know what it was when I was six. Right. So. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I walked right past the Robin Hood action figures. I was uh, nothing. And they had that it, was, it was a big juice. The mm -hmm. movie. I had that. Yeah. Uh like any movie that came out of the eighties and the 90s, early nineties, yeah. like definitely like it was like toys, 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 toys. Doesn't matter if it's not aimed for kids, just yeah. toys. Yeah, there's nothing somebody's gonna buy it. Nothing anymore. And these kids are gonna love the toys, so they're gonna see the movies when they get older. Because mm -hmm. that was the idea. That's yeah. Well, one movie that they definitely didn't make toys for unless they were trying to make polyps was uh Dying Young, which is Cambridge oh, wow. Is diagnosed with terminal cancer, and uh, he's what a transition. <laughs> nice segue. I was thinking how I was going to segue back. <laughs> um, Julia Roberts is in. I think it's one of Campbell Scott's first film roles. Uh, son of legendary George C. Scott. Ah, and uh, it's actually directed by Joel Schumacher. Hmm. Very sappy and melodramatic. Ah well. But uh, a sequel came out this month, uh, The Naked Gun 22 and a half, The Smell of Fear, which I'm going to go on record and say, those Naked Gun movies, perfect trilogy. Oh, really? I like them all. I like Maybe all. I should actually watch them. I had always heard the sequels weren't that good. I know I've seen at least one of them. I just don't remember which one I've seen. I, I saw seen the first one. I have like 11. Definitely search for the classic. Yeah, I think the other two are uh, not too inferior in quality. I, they all have their share of laughs. But uh, this is before Leslie Nielsen became like overly reliant on the spoof genre. Dracula Dead, I'm loving it. Yeah, stuff like that garbage. And yeah. uh, Spy Hard and stuff like that. So uh, even O.J. Simpson's real funny. In this. As I, love him. I love him in the first name, Gun. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. Oh, maybe I did see all three of them. Which one does he get injured in a lot? Is or is that everything? Yeah, it's a running gag in all of them. Okay. I. Yeah. yeah. No, it is. I wasn't sure if it was just one of the films. You know who showed me the uh, Naked Gun movies? Who? Uh, it's actually one of two people. Uh, somebody like two like people we know from high school. Uh, either Thomas Campanella or uh, Thomas Cole. Oh, one of the two sense. showed me them. That makes sense. I think. Uh, Robert Goulet is the villain in this sequel, actually. Yeah, definitely haven't seen so that. It's interesting. They got these really prestigious uh, character actors to uh, play the villains because in the first one, it's uh, Ricardo Montalban. Yeah. yeah. And in the third one, it's Fred Ward. Oh, oh our guy from Tremors. Yeah. yeah, so we'll get to that. Yeah, mm. now I want. now I want to see these two. <laughs> And now we're on to Poster Boy. Oh, see, Poster Boy! It's a very Boy. short month. Oh, no. Yeah. <clears throat> I must have closed it. I have it open. I'm sorry. Great thing. Right. I just watched this. Yeah? Talk about it in depth. All right, you ready, Jeff? Let's do it. You should have permission. It didn't go right away. You got to be patient. So you may know this already. This is a fairly popular. He knows it. Ah well. It's okay. We I'm still going to describe. I'm still going to play along. I'm still going to come up with an alternate title. We really yeah. had very. This few is hours. what I was hoping we were setting up over the time that we've been doing Poster Boy. Even if you start knowing the films, you'll come up with a better way to 
market it or title it or plot it. Okay. All right. Frame it. So what we're looking at right here, there's two legs sticking out of the front yard of a house and looking on is some teenage, presumably babysitter behind a rock band of children that or in front of a rock band of children. Like one's wearing sunglasses, one's playing guitar, one's chewing bubble gum, and the other's just like doing doing one of these. Like, doing uh -huh. doing the truffle shuffle, it looks like. Right. Oh exactly. god, he is, isn't he? he does. He looks like <laughs> he looks like Chunk from uh Goonies. Actually, hold up one second. And it's okay. On, on Tristan's screen, the kid that's doing the little grin. His eye looks a little red and his lips look a little black. So he looks like he's possessed. Or a zombie. Or a zombie. Like... So it's the kid from the Omen yeah, at yeah. the summer camp. And all right. So yeah, I, I know what the movie is, but let me tell you what this picture looks like it could be. So Damien from the Omen is at summer camp. <laughs> and it's like a sort of sequel. And then you've got young cyclops up on the top mm -hmm. it looks like james marsden from from the x-men movies uh and then around there is i don't a young kurt cobain perhaps oh god <laughs> this is like a, a summer camp for wayward youths and then it comes about that like damien cyclops the kid from andre kurt cobain oh. and the kid that got left over from uh Flight of the Navigator, I'll get dropped to this weird summer camp that's run by Christina Applegate. <laughs> yeah, could they show her? It was, it was actually blurred out, but yeah, it's Christina Applegate. Because this poster is originally for Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dad. Yes. Um, there you go. But I also, I don't know judging, why by, judging by the legs sticking out, I also thought this could be a very dark sequel to Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's got the coloring where they like or like an alternate skewed timeline i mean they could do that accidentally man. like doubtfire dies before they find out that it's their dad <laughs> um no rules no curfews no baths no nagging no pulse <laughs> what, a what happened god what a horrifying tagline <laughs> now have, have you seen this jeff i haven't no Neither have I. So, oh, given that, oh, has Jimmy seen it? Oh, I've seen it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Like my, my cousins were a big fan of this movie, so I've seen I've seen it a lot. What do you think? Don't tell the mom the babysitter's dead is actually about. Now that you made up your own, do you think they kill her? Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. I think it's I, next. I and think... She falls down the stairs, but I don't know. I think it's meant to look like an accident, but Christina Applegate's face tells me otherwise. There was some sort, <laughs> some sort of ulterior motive. Like she's she's smirking at that corpse, man. Sure is. And I, you know, I feel like there was there was some payback involved. The babysitter was not actually supposed to be dead. It's definitely playing. But they still can't tell problem. mom because if they tell mom, then she's going to turn in Christina Applegate, who has a fucking past man and you can't there's i was gonna say she looks like a femme fatale it's gonna go wrong they're playing up her uh married with children image with this with the yeah. image and the low-cut top and everything does she even look like that in the movie uh, yeah 
She doesn't dress that provocative. She looks like that and then some. Like, I could tell you, like, I could tell you so much. Oh, yeah? Yeah. yeah. I just watched it. It sounds like apparently a seminal film. I mean, uh, you know, like, pubescent Jim. Yeah. Okay. So what is the actual plot, Corey? Right, so the plot is this uh, this deadbeat mother leaves her kids leaves her kids to go on a business trip for a month. Meanwhile, she lets these kids just roam free, do whatever they want. Yeah, well, welcome. They're possessed. The, the father, I think, is out of the picture. It, I think he's out of the picture. You don't know why. Like either left or you yeah, just, you're not sure. But the, clearly, their parents did a horrible job. They leave them with uh, this elderly babysitter who just has like a heart attack, dies or asleep. Yeah. So instead of notifying their mother, who's in Australia, I believe, they, they drop her off at a, at a church, her body, in a trunk. And then they decide they need their allowances going around. So Christina Applegate lies on her resume to get a job in the fashion industry as a secretary. And she slowly rises. Um, one of the one of the people working at the uh, fashion agency, David Duchovny. Oh, oh yeah, I forgot he was arriving. Yeah. Okay. Um, and yeah, Tristan, you'll like this. Her one menial job that she works at, the guy she falls for, Josh Charles. I knew that. I knew he was in it, so I knew where you were going with this. And upon rewatching it. He is the clingiest, most nagging, annoying <laughs> character in the movie. Probably good at that. Oh. Why won't you tell me what you're doing for a living? I guess you don't care. You don't love me or anything. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess they're, they're flipping the trope. Yeah, actually. Around oh, somebody. Christina Applegate becomes the, the boss bitch. And uh, her boyfriend's just kind of like, it's her boyfriend. That's yeah. her boy toy. She has more chemistry with her brother. Oh, in the movie, and she does with Josh Charles. Ew. In fact, there's a where's a there's a weird incestuous subtext to one scene where I don't remember uh, that. Oh well, yeah, you'll remember this dialogue exchange where he's like, you know, I've been sleeping in the kitchen all day. You know, you never take me out anymore. And she's like, look, I I didn't realize you wanted that. And he's like, yeah, I would like to be complimented on how my house. Oh, looked. you know what? I read I read that differently when I seen it as a kid. Like I read that as like. <laughs> They were the two oldest kids in the family, so like they they had the split like uh, well, they were the mother and the father, like yeah no like the mother and father, so like she was the breadwinner and the then like he, he, he was complaining he was about her not taking her out of so like he felt like the uh, the at home wife yeah so like they're flipping a lot of tropes like with her and her boyfriend and her and her brother yeah, yeah. which is interesting mm-hmm. to say the least right. it doesn't become the Brady Bunch movie that's for sure <laughs> no that was way better than Brady Bunch movie true there's just in actual incestuous subplot. Yeah. I mean, they're step, they're step siblings, so. Yeah. Where do you think Pornhub got Where it from? Where a whole subgenre <laughs> happened. All right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> the final thing I wanted to discuss was, since, since we just touched upon her a little bit uh, at the end there, was Jennifer Connelly. Do you guys have a, a favorite Jennifer Connelly film? Well, apparently Jimmy Apparently, Jimmy really touched upon himself when he thought about Christine mm. Applegate in that movie. Oh, yeah, no. I know, I set that up. Yeah, no. Um, uh, but back to Jennifer <laughs> Connelly. 
I would have I would have to say a labyrinth, honestly. Perfect debut. Requiem for a dream. Perfect uh, resurgence. Beautiful mind. The Oscar win. And I'll go with the one that I, uh, this was really clean cut. You guys went way too fast on this. This is a film that not many people talk about anymore, but House of Sand and Fog, I think Ooh. she gets one of the most underrated performances <clears throat> in her big resurgence. It's coming right after Beautiful Mind and Requiem for a Dream. So it kind of got overshadowed by those better films. Ron Eldar. I also liked her in Hulk. She's fine in Hulk, yeah. So she had, a, she had a really good career resurgence around the early 2000s. Yeah. So, uh, she's the reason that I made the Edgars uh, because she won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress when she's basically the only woman in the film. And I didn't understand how Oscar campaigning worked. So I didn't realize that the studio submitted her as Supporting Actress because she is supporting Russell Crowe. It makes sense if you want to make him the only lead but she's in as much of the film as he is. She's the reason Nash is sane enough to be. He would continue to deteriorate if it wasn't for her. Exactly. Like they died together. They're, they were like forever interchangeable, you know? It's so to have Jennifer Connelly just get supporting actress, I felt like was a, a misfire on the Oscars part and all other award shows. So I had her an actress and I made a whole awards program for the last 20 years because of that. So. Yep. And my old Dave. She also, uh, interesting little tidbit. I didn't realize that she was, she cameoed as suit lady voice in uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. Which? Which? Well, of Iron Man. Well, well, that's the other thing. I didn't realize she was married to Paul Bettany. Yeah, yes. who played the voice of Jarvis and then eventually Bishop. Which is funny, yeah. She's a voice now, he's a voice now, like and he, they marry. Yeah, it's it's cute. Yeah, they met on, a, on the set of A Beautiful Mind. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I forgot Paul Bettany was in that. Yeah. Who, where he also played an imaginary voice in a head. Yeah. You could <laughs> almost say he did the same thing in Master and Commander. Yeah, because really they're best friends in that. Yeah, if you <laughs> think of that as like ancestors of nash he's a uh, figment what if, what if paul bettany is just is, like russell crowe's imaginary friend in real life but like he cgi'd in the movies there there was a joke going paul around just only exists in people's imagination there, there was a joke that chaucer isn't real in a night's tale he's just heath ledger's imagination and the actual ah. two or alan tudyk and uh, the the king from game of thrones well so on solo dripped him up in that prequel yeah, there's no actual villain. No villain in that movie. If anyone could play Harvey in a mo- in a new movie adaptation, the the rabbit from the from the, the Jimmy Stewart. Oh, I kind of want to see that. He's he's uh, who's supposed to be invisible. The only one who could play him is Paul Bettany. Yeah, because he just excels at playing imaginary or virtual <laughs> characters. That reminds me, I got like I we, imagine the priest happened. We we got we got Wimbledon. Yeah, we got to see more of Farscape so you can see the Harvey in that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because, like, there's a character in there that's called Harvey in the show Farscape that I love. Mm -hmm. And, like, I've never seen the original content that Harvey was in. Well, you can see Jeff's play. See it because I'm directing it in October. Oh, yeah, maybe that's right then. It's basically the same as... But anyway. Nice little plug at the end there self-promoting this guy other other than that uh we might as well plug that if you you want to rate review subscribe we always love seeing that 
uh, like I said last time, we've been getting viewers to the actual website. So I, I know you're all listening. I've had people tell me in person that. Uh, Don't be a wise guy and give this video a thumbs down. I yeah. saw that in the last video. Yeah, we'll stick Eddie Valentine on you. Find out who you are. Wait, there actually wasn't a thumbs down. There's a thumbs down in the last video. Mm. That means people are actually watching it that don't like us. So I disagree. Maybe there's no. just people that don't like the doors. No, they, they hate those. What about Bob? What about Bob? It was just the last two days? Yeah. Man, I don't know about this. You know, maybe mm-hmm. some of you people shouldn't even comment. Listen, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> We're all here for the love of the game, all right? We love everybody, even if you hate us. I mean, I live off of hate, so like, bring it. Direct all of your hate mail toward Jimmy. Yeah. Thanks. Jimmy at gmail.com. Yeah. <laughs> it's Yahoo. <laughs> Jimmy at Netscape. I knew I should have been the first one to get this email. <laughs> oh, boy. Sorry, Jimmy. <laughs> Wherever you are. All right. Uh, next, next month, we're going to take a little detour into uh, a realm that we're not exactly uh, going to be familiar with. We're going into the hood with Boys in the Hood. So we're, we're gonna look at John Singleton's first film and uh, talk about his career and Cuba Gooding Jr. And, you know, start to see some diversity in the 90s yeah. since yeah. that's uh, sort of been lacking a thing we've noticed. So. And, you know, you have, you know, white boys review it, so sorry. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Three and a half white guys review Boys in the Hood. So. All right, well, uh, get get the outro going. Come on. We'll We'll catch you next time. Guys, give me a second. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that cat just like jumped right into his the rocketeer. Yeah. That's a rocketeer. Yeah.